0: Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We are in the section of Ephesians known as the whole armor of God. Today we're going to be covering, uh, we're going to be focusing on verse 15, the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. That's where we're going to land in verse 15, but I want us to read verses 10 through 18 again so that we have our context. So everyone, please stand and follow. As I read, Ephesians 6, verses 10-18, through 18, and remember that this is the Word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Amen. You may be seated. We're in the middle of a war against enemies that are much stronger than we are. The text calls them the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. Talking about Satan and his servants. That said, though our enemies are much stronger than we are in and of ourselves, we have not been left to ourselves. We are in Christ. One of the points that uh, Paul has sought to make over and over again throughout the book of Ephesians, that we are in Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ has all power and authority over everything in heaven and on earth. That includes power and authority over Satan and the demons. And we are in Him which means we have access to everything that we could possibly need in order to withstand our enemies and stand firm all the way to the end. In the end, we know that Jesus wins, and we know that we will triumph over our enemies in Him. That said, right now is go time, and we do have a responsibility to fight. We must always be putting on and keeping on the whole armor of God, taking up the means of God's strength that He has given to us. In our own strength, we are no match for our enemies, but we have not been left to our own strength. We have been called, in verse 10, to be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might, to take up the whole armor of God, that we may be able to withstand our enemies and stand firm in Christ, in His strength. To the end. So, as I said a couple minutes ago, the part of the armor that we're talking about today is found in verse 15. Um, one of the things that helps us stand firm in Christ to the end is to put on the shoes of the readiness that is given by the gospel of peace. It's kind of confusing language, but if you bear with me a moment, I think it will be more clear. This is similar language to Isaiah 52, verse 7, which says how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings the good news, who publishes peace. Paul was likely considering the Isaiah passage when he wrote the Ephesians passage to put on the shoes of readiness that is given by the gospel of peace. Or we could say put on the shoes of preparedness that is given by the gospel of peace. So in Paul's day, uh, Roman soldiers were issued the caliga, which were military sandals, not like flip-flops, but they were like uh, strap-up type sandals. You'd strap them all over your feet and up your ankle and up your shin. And they were especially used for long marches. So in the same way, in order to withstand our enemies and stand firm to the end, we have to march a long way and we had better put our shoes on. What shoes? What shoes? The readiness or preparedness that the gospel of peace gives. Readiness to do what? Well, certainly the text makes clear uh, readiness to stand firm against our enemies, but also not only to play defense and standing firm, but to get on offense and share the gospel of peace with others. Uh, I think that the Isaiah passage is sort of an underlayer here, and so they go together. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who makes peace known. So this is a big idea for today. The gospel of peace prepares us to share the gospel of peace. So the first thing we need to do is to consider the gospel of peace for ourselves, and then we can think about sharing the gospel of peace with others. What exactly is meant by the gospel of peace, uh, or the good news of peace? I want to start by sharing a little bit about the night that I uh, came to know the Lord in order to tell you what kind of peace I'm not talking about. I think this is the kind of peace we tend to think of, um, but I think it will help by way of contrast. So, most of you know that um, for the three years that I was in college up to that point, I uh, battled a lot of uh, fear and anxiety, severe anxiety, uh, had Panic attacks weekly, often daily uh, the the symptoms of which would be a pounding and racing heartbeat where I felt like I was having a heart attack, so I mean oftentimes I would go to like the health clinic or the heart doctor in town and just tell them, uh, "You guys need to let me wear your latest and greatest heart monitor i 've got heart problems, and they would tell me you don 't have heart problems, you have head problems like okay <laughs> great, uh, you need to go see a psychiatrist so uh, you know, that's not immediately comforting. Um, although it is good to know you're not having heart problems. But, um, so, you know, your heart's going crazy. Your chest is tight. I even had the arm pain. I'm like, I've got all the symptoms that they would want to know about if you're having a heart attack. Um, lose your breath, can't breathe, you know, shortness of breath, the whole, the whole nine yards. But ultimately... In every, and this is like a 20-30 minute episode, some longer, some shorter. But ultimately, the climax of every panic attack is a fear of death. And for me, it wasn't just a fear of death, it was a fear of God. Because I grew up in the church, I had walked away from the Lord and from the church and for many years, and I knew when I died, which I expected to be any minute now, I was going to meet God. And I didn't think that was going to go well for me. I think you could describe the way that I lived for those uh, three years as a total lack of peace. No peace. The worst one was when I was trying to go to sleep. I mean, it's just like I constantly had this weight on my chest and, and uh, I just had no peace. I tried different things, different psychiatrists, different medications, different techniques. Uh, nothing brought peace. And so it was just a constant unrest. Um, in my life, my dad's here today, so I can tell the, the story again. But uh, the night that I got saved, I was in the middle of a uh, one of these episodes and called my dad and said, uh, "You know, he had been alongside as my mom had for all of the, that time. They were paying for the psychiatrist. They were uh, trying to bear with me through the very difficult time. And if anyone knew uh, the depth of the darkness other than me, it was them." And so I I called dad one night and said, it's just gotten to be too much. I I just can't take it anymore. Um, I've got to come back to Memphis. I've got to leave Knoxville and come back home. And if I can just be with you and mom, you know, y'all are my safe place and then maybe I'll have peace and maybe things will get better. And uh, I've always said, I think, that what my dad said to me next was his finest moment as a father and I can only imagine the difficulty uh, now having children of my own. But uh, he said to me, Uh, Chris, you can't come back to Memphis because I'm not the one that you're looking for. Um, And we hung up. And uh, again, he knew he couldn't do for me what I needed done. I was longing for a peace that he couldn't provide. He pointed me to the one who could and we hung up the phone. Um, I mean, I was desperate, probably thought I was suicidal, and yet I I think it was... uh, Exactly the right thing to do. I went in my bedroom, uh, still trying to snap out of it, you know, even if I wasn't going to have peace, maybe I could just figure out a way to cope. No coping in my bedroom floor, um, crying out to God. I had prayed for those years of panic, but it was always kind of a prayer of God, please help me and, so that I can have my life back. Uh, but this was more, Lord, if you'll have me, take my life and do something with it. And I'm telling you, I can still remember exactly where I was and what it felt like when I had peace like a river flow down from heaven and I crawled into my bed and slept like a baby. I said if I would ever write my story, I would call it Peace Like a River, Grace Like a Freight Train. And uh, Peace Like a River, really I'm thinking about that night when uh, God rained down peace I tell you all that to say that's a wonderful peace, but that is not the peace that we're talking about when we're talking about the peace of the gospel. Um, Whether we're talking about believing the gospel of peace or sharing the gospel of peace, he's not talking about the feelings of peace that we sometimes have in our relationship with God. I hope you have those feelings of peace. I have them Sometimes. Uh, they don't always stay. I remember that moment because of the contrast. Because I had had no peace, and all of a sudden it was like I had perfect peace. Uh, but our peace, you know, it comes and goes. And, uh, but the peace that Paul is talking about in the text is not a peace that comes and goes. It's a peace that is published in the Gospel, a lasting, eternal peace. The situational feelings of peace are downstream from a greater positional peace that we have with God through Christ. The text is talking about peace where there was war. In our sin, we were enemies at war with God. But Jesus established peace on the cross. So, there are a number of ways that the gospel is described in God's Word. Uh, Last week we talked about justification. In justification, the sinner is before God as judge in God's courtroom. We were guilty in our sin, and yet God has judged us as not guilty but righteous in Christ. In redemption... We sinners were slaves to our sin, but God has come in Christ to purchase us and rescue us out of our slavery into our freedom in Christ. In adoption, we were strangers and orphans to God. But in Christ, He has come to rescue us from our uh, orphanage. Not, we're no longer outside of God's family, but in Christ, we've been brought into God's family as children, sons and daughters. Again, in Christ. In forgiveness, we stand before God as debtors with a debt that we could not pay, but Jesus paid it all, and we are forgiven our debt. We're talking about the same Gospel, the same good news. The Scriptures just come from a lot of different angles to help us understand uh, something of what the Gospel is like. So this week, we're talking about reconciliation. In our sin, we were enemies of God, but Jesus has established peace, where there was war. In Christ, we are now reconciled to God. We're no longer enemies, but friends. So I want us to look at a couple passages that describe the Gospel this way. If you look back in Ephesians 2, we'll go there first. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 11 through 18, and I will uh, comment as we go. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is is made in the flesh by hands. That can be confusing, but all he's saying is, uh, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles are anyone not Jews, and uh, the the Jews, who have been god 's people for a long time, people of Israel, would always you know they were better than the Gentiles, and so anyone that was not a Jew, they would look out and kind of in a the, the uncircumcised those uncircumcised philistines well that 's us we 're the uncircumcised, but the issue that they 're dealing with now is that as people come to Christ, both Jew and Gentile, there 's still kind of some of that competition going on, and the Jews think they 're better Christians than the Gentile Christians. Because they've got this whole heritage thing going on. So, uh, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So the point here is, the Jews, what was the source of their pride? Well, they had all the promises and all the law and all the, the uh, worship in the temple and everything. And so that's what, you know, they were like, well, we've got all this stuff. What do you guys have? Y'all don't have anything. But He's saying, He's abolished all that. He's made one new man Christian in place of the two, Jew and Gentile. So now, there are Christians, some from a Gentile heritage, some from a Jewish heritage, but it doesn't matter, and he's, he's brought peace between the parties. There's no more hostility there. That's what he's talking about there. But then he says, verse 16, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The real hostility was between God and man. So the peace has come where Christ has brought uh, peace where there was hostility between God and man, both Jew and Gentile. Both needed Christ. Both needed a Savior because sin had made a war with God. Verse 17, He came and preached peace to you who are far off, peace to those who were near, for through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. The point is, that's one passage where... Uh, We're taught to think this way about the gospel, that we were enemies, we were at war with God and even with other Christians because of uh, religious preference. We could apply that to racial things today, Um, you know, black, white, blue, green, doesn't matter. We're all in Christ. And so there's no hostility between the races. More importantly, there's no hostility between us and God because we're in Christ. All right. Turn backward a little bit to Romans chapter five. Another passage that speaks this way. I'll read verse 1 and then verses 8-11 through 11 as well. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's not talking about feelings of peace. It's talking about a positional peace where there was war. Look at verse 8. God shows His love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There again, we were enemies, we were at war, we have peace, we are reconciled, we are friends, even family, all of that. Christ. So, have you ever thought about the fact that your sin made you an enemy of God? That your sin had created enmity or hostility between you and Him? If there's anyone in here that is not trusting in Christ, you're still an enemy of God. And God is storing up wrath for His enemies for the day of judgment. But you don't have to stay an enemy because their peace has been established In Christ. You know, I often think about the fact that God saved us from our enemies in uh, sending His Son and Jesus' death on the cross. And usually when I think about that or speak that way, um, I'm thinking about the fact that Jesus saved us from Satan, He saved us from sin, and He saved us from death, which all of those are enemies. But our greatest enemy that we have been saved from, the enemy that we had the most to be afraid of was God Himself. Our sin had stored up God's holy wrath. God hates sin and He is glorified when it is punished. I've been reading through Ezekiel and uh, the most common refrain in Ezekiel is that you will know that I am the Lord. Uh, They shall know that I am the Lord. And the first like 33 chapters are about judgment. And over and over again, And they will know that I am the Lord. And they will know that God is made known. God is magnified. God is glorified in judgment. He's just. A just judge punishes crime, right? Well, God is just and He is glorified in His judgment. But then it turns to the hope of the eternal covenant, the new covenant, the promise of peace and restoration and forgiveness and healing and everything. And again, and they will know that I am the Lord. They will know that I am the Lord. The point is, God is made known both ways. God is going to be glorified. We just want to know God the one way. We don't want to know God in His judgment. We want to know God according to His grace and mercy in Christ. Um, God hates sin. He's glorified when it's punished. But Jesus took God's wrath in our place on the cross. Ultimately, on the cross, Jesus saved us from God. The big Bible word is propitiation. Uh, Jesus is our propitiation, which means that He took all of God's wrath on Himself and He has removed it from us as far as the east is from the west. For those who are in Christ, there is no more wrath, no more condemnation. Peace has been established where there was war. Unless we get the wrong picture of God the Father in all of this, like He's you know just the angry uh, member of the Trinity up there, let us not forget that it was His love for us that set this plan of salvation in motion. God shows His love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, so that whoever believes in Him will not perish. Uh, whoever believes in the Son will not perish under the wrath of the Father. So do you believe in Jesus Christ? Then you're no longer an enemy of God, but a friend. Peace has been established through Christ. And this is not a situational peace like those feelings of peace that we all want, and we have sometimes. They come and go. It is a positional peace. The peace treaty has been signed in Christ's blood. There is no more hostility. There is no more war with God. God has reconciled us to Himself through Christ. The day that was long ago foretold by the prophets has now come in Christ. They talked of a new covenant. A, an eternal covenant of peace with God. Listen to Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Familiar passage. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus. And the government shall be upon His shoulder, and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of? Peace. Of the increase of His government and of? Peace. There shall be no end. And He's talking about that kind of peace. Positional peace. Peace with God. Ezekiel 37, 24 and following. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the true and better King David. He is the King of kings to whom David pointed. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the one shepherd of God's uh, one flock. This is talking about the time of Christ. And in verse 26 it says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. A covenant of peace. It shall be an everlasting covenant. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And not some fickle, situational, come and go peace, but a rock solid, everlasting secured by the blood of the covenant, peace. Now, uh, remember the big idea. The gospel of peace gives us a readiness to share the gospel of peace. The good news that we have eternal peace with God, that there's no more war, but peace, reconciliation in Christ, that equips us to... It readies us, it prepares us to share that good news with others so that they too might have this lasting, eternal, positional peace. So, uh, let's talk for a minute about being prepared to share the gospel. Do you believe the gospel? Do you understand in some measure that peace has been established between you and God through the death of Jesus on the cross? Well then, having received the Gospel, you have been given a readiness to share it with others. We must simply continue to put on that readiness as a part of our armor. We have to strap up the laces of the shoes of our readiness and do the hard work of actually taking the Gospel to other people. But the readiness has already come With the gospel message as a part of the gospel package so one of the common weaknesses that i see in myself and that i see in our church is that we tend to think that we need something else to prepare us we need another class we need another course we need a new mentor whatever it is classes are good courses are good mentors are good if you don't understand the gospel, we have all of the above to, to help anyone who doesn't understand the gospel understand it. But we ought not sit idly by waiting to share the gospel uh, until we reach that you know next level of preparation, wherever that is. We're always kind of wondering when we'll get there. And uh, maybe we could, if we could do that, we'll get there. But the reality is, if you believe the gospel... The one true gospel by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If the gospel of peace with God has come to you and you have understanding about what it is and what it is not, you are prepared. We just need to strap up the laces and take the gospel somewhere. And the way that we grow more and more ready is by exercising the readiness that we've already been given in the gospel by putting on the shoes of the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In other words, we will grow in sharing the gospel by sharing the gospel. Uh, there's a readiness already that we're fit with, and the more that we walk in that, the more that we will you know, grow in walking with that. So we get out there and fall on our face. Who cares? Doesn't matter. We're not living for the approval of man. We already had the divine smile of God. We have peace with God. What else? What else could we need? Now, I would say this about sharing the gospel of peace with the world: um, in order to share the good news of peace, we are probably going to have to tell them about the war. We live in a day where there is increasingly no fear of God, no fear of God to be found anywhere. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Can't truly know God without the fear of the Lord. So people need to know about the hostility before they can have any context to begin to appreciate and understand the peace. There is war with God in our sin. There is peace with God in Christ. People need to understand that in their sin they are enemies of God. And only through Christ is there any peace with God to be had. To be sure, it is a full, eternal peace. So, um, in application, I'm I'm coming into your living room. And uh, in application to your life, this is where it gets uncomfortable for all of us. But a practical goal uh, for this week is that we would share this gospel of peace with one person whether that's face-to-face, someone we don't know, someone we do know, or uh, writing it down and sending it, whether that's a letter to someone far away or a letter to someone next door. I don't really care. I don't think it matters. Uh, We have a whole bunch of letters that the gospel was shared in. seems to have worked pretty well, so uh, maybe that's a good way to go about it. But um, a goal to share the gospel with one person this week, that person that Maybe it comes to your mind as I say that the person in your life that you know is lost does not know God um, and, and is presently still at war with God. We love them and we want them to know they don't have to stay that way. And there is peace with God in Christ. So publish the peace. Make the peace known uh, to whoever it is that you so choose. And honestly, if we do that, why not do it again? Uh, it would be a good practice to challenge ourselves to put on the shoes of the readiness that has been given in the gospel of peace so as for you do you believe in Jesus Christ then you have peace with God never to return to war the peace treaty has been signed in Christ's blood and that has come with a readiness to make known the gospel of peace let's pray Our Father in heaven, um, I don't think often enough about how offensive my sin is to you. You are holy, holy, holy. And Lord, uh, our sin created enmity, hostility. We were your enemies. But what love you have and what grace you've shown in that uh, while we were even enemies, Christ came to die for us and, and bring us back to you. Lord thank you for pursuing us uh, not all, we were not in a neutral position we were opposed to you with great hostility and uh, you have overcome it all thank you for sending your son to establish peace on the cross Lord Jesus we thank you for taking all of the hostility all of the wrath and ultimately ending the war Lord. Um, Help us to rest secure in, in Your love, and Your grace, and Your mercy, and the peace that we have with You that has been signed eternally that will never go away. And Lord, might we have courage and faith uh, to believe not only that we have peace with You, but with that has come a readiness to let others know about this peace. Uh, give us grace to walk in Your paths. We do pray also that You would bring people to mind. Um, that you would give us the courage to share and that you would use that uh, to establish peace with yet another sinner, uh, many sinners, Lord, that you would save them. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.